Oh, I don't know. Is your heart tender today? My heart is very tender. It's always that way. Now, some of you who uh, know that Pastor missed the visitors, just hang on. We'll do it at the end, okay? Some of y'all worried to death, so just, just be all right. <laughs> Change of order in a Baptist service makes a rapture happen. So, <laughs> No, I just got upset and then forgot about it. And then there's something else. Some of you are, who are visiting, uh, you see some of our ladies wearing hat, hats, and some of the other ladies are backslidden. But, uh, <clears throat> but uh, I grew up in, uh, I didn't know it. We were poor as dirt, and I grew up at Curtis Baptist Church. We had like 5,000 members. We were in high church. We had a big pipe organ, and I didn't have a clue. I didn't even know where I was at, and we had so many blessings. But the ladies wore hats and gloves and all kind of things. It was, it was so neat, and I loved church growing up, and it just reminds me of home on Mother's Day. And so some of our ladies are kind enough to do that, and some of y'all are in a state of rebellion. And, uh, and pastor loves you. We're going to mess up my hair. I was like, well, you can mess up your hair for one day for the pastor. Amen? Okay. And then the guys get to wear sports shirts on Father's Day. So <laughs> doesn't seem fair, does it? So, but I love you anyway. And so, uh, hey, find uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to start this message. This is actually a compilation of several, two or three messages. And so we're just going to kind of work our way through the text, Okay. Today, I'm hoping to get through the first point. Michael, have your outline up here in just a moment. And uh, this is really, these next few here are, are very important. You'll, you'll enjoy this because it speaks of our rewards in heaven. And uh, it, uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful text. Remember the context where we are. The context is, and I don't know of very many places in Scripture where one writer spends so much time on one topic. But within this one topic, the first four chapters actually deal with divisions in the church there in Corinth. And today, Paul is going to talk about our rewards and how each person gets rewarded for what each person has done. So the, the context in and of itself, we're going to get into a lot of different things in this as Paul talks about it. But the main context of really where we are is this, this church in Corinth uh, that was just so ungodly. So Paul spent a good bit of time there in A.D. 50. On his second missionary journey, he started this church. So there were some Christians in there who were supposed to be uh, relatively mature as Paul writes to them. And he says, listen, no more picking preachers that you like. It, you're trying to fight over who's best. Uh, you're saying, well, Apollos, Apollos Paul left uh, these uh, Priscilla and him there and Paulus and says uh, he says I left you there as I moved on I built the foundation I want you to build upon that foundation uh, but they were well maybe it was Apollos as our best leader maybe Paul was maybe the apostle Peter was and then somebody got really spiritual and said no I'm just following Jesus sounds just like a Baptist church doesn't it so so what we're actually looking at today is our rewards, the reward of a faithful servant. And so Paul was really saying, quit looking at other people, look at yourself, and you're going to get rewards. If you're faithful to Christ, things will all work out to the good. I remember uh, there was a time in my life where I went into my bedroom, and I looked, and I had all these little trophies up in there from Little League right on up through college. And I looked, and those things were so important to me. And I looked at them, and they had dust all over them, you know, and I said, I'm sick and tired of cleaning up these trophies, and actually, they don't really mean a whole lot anyway. That was back when you got a trophy for actually participating and winning, and uh, not everybody won. And I did the unthinkable. I threw them away, threw every bit of them away. 
And I walked out thinking, I grew up today a little bit. And so my identity is not in these little cheap trophies. And so I've got golf trophies. I've got all kind of other stuff that we've won is in team matches and individual stuff. And you know what it amounts to? Nothing. And so what we do for Jesus is more important. And I remember that, getting rid of that. James Dobson tells the story of a time when someone sent him from an old church. He had a tennis trophy that he worked really hard and got in shape and went and won the tennis tournament. And then he had this wonderful trophy. Somebody sent it to him and said, hey, we found this in the trash at the church. Would you like to have it? And uh, C.S. Lewis says this, realizing that life on earth is just a temporary assignment should radically alter your values. Eternal values, not temporary ones, should become the deciding factor for your life decisions. C.S. Lewis also said, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. And so I really believe that if we had our focus where it should be and we put our priorities where they should be in our Christian walk with Christ, things would work out a whole lot better. Things don't hurt us as much when we realize when we put them in the light of eternity, it makes a big difference. Some of you may be upset about some very little bitty things here today. Well, don't be. You, you just let that go, and Jesus will fix it. And so uh, here this little place uh, that Paul was writing, you'll, back in verse number 6, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, you'll see Paul said, I planted the seed Apollos watered, but God made it grow. In that section, Paul was talking about agriculture. He was using agriculture as his base for teaching the lesson. And then in verse number 9, before we get to verse 10 as we read our text, you'll notice Paul moves. Paul says, now, he says, for we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field, God's building. Uh, Paul went to agri- he went there to architecture. And so we went from agriculture to architecture. Actually, we're going to deal with the word architect here in just a moment. And so the people in the church were actually picking who they liked best and who the best worker was. They were earthly thinking. In this section where we are now, Paul is trying to get them to stop thinking on an earthly plane and start thinking on a heavenly plane. And Paul is saying, quit worrying about these leaders. Worry about yourself and do your job. Thinking and living eternally is the goal of every pastor that I know. If I can get you thinking spiritually about everything, then your problems are going to be so much less. And the church is going to get along better, and we're going to just have a great time together in Jesus. You know, your parents used to say it to you like this. Well, in the wrong run, this is going to be all right. Well, I want to tell you, when you see the face of Jesus All of this stuff that we're dealing with right now won't amount to anything. And this one thought can literally just rescue us. So if we learn to weigh our actions in light of eternity, we're going to accomplish God's goal in our life, and we will be rewarded. And one of the things I like about this message is it's something that we don't do very often. Uh, Preachers don't hit these passages very often. You're going to get rewarded for this pain and suffering and agony. All this work that you're pouring into the ministry is going to be rewarded one day. And when you see Christ, Paul actually says, everything 
everything that's happening now is like looking through a dim glass, an old dusty glass. It's like going up to an old farm and, and going up to the barn that has a window in it and nobody's been in there for years and you just kind of wipe the, the gook off of the window and you kind of look through and you try to see. Paul says, that's what it's like right now. But one day it's going to be like you looking into a mirror. It's going to be like a, a big polished brass bowl and you're going to rub that off and see your face clearly. It's going to all make sense one day. And so God begins to say to us the rewards of heaven. So let's look at our passage. Look in verse number 10 is where we start. And because this is going to take two or three messages, I'm going to read the whole section here. It's not that long. If you'll see in verse number 9, he says, for we are God's workers you are God's field, God's building. Now we just changed, we, we just changed right there. We went from, from talking about planting seeds to building buildings. And here's what Paul says about our lives. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. Another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation that that has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. I thought a Baptist somewhere would have said amen right there. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold and silver and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, watch, not everyone's work, each one's work, each one's work, will be obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If anyone's work that he has built, if that work survives, he will receive a reward. Y'all must not be wanting to get your reward. I don't know. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he will be saved. My mama used to say, if you don't live right, you're going to get saved, but it would be by the skin of your teeth. Your teeth don't have skin, so think about that. It's going to be really close. Yet, it will be like escaping through the fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, let's just say it like this. If you destroy the church of Jesus Christ, if you don't build on the foundation properly, If you don't take care of the body of Christ, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. He didn't say you're going to be holy. He says that you you are holy right now. So let's look here as we go through. Do you agree this with me, that a man's business, a man's family, his hobbies, his church will all fail without proper time put into it, without proper talents involved in it, and good old-fashioned hard work? You see, something that we've lost today is it's like, well, we can't teach people about work anymore. Well, I got news for you. You're not going to accomplish anything in life without hard work. You've got to put your heart and your soul into it. If you don't, it's going to fail. Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. You've got to have Jesus in front of all of these things. Now, listen, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Do you know that in a race, all the runners run, but... But only one person gets the prize. They do it to get a crown that will not last. All those trophies that I had, that's just bragging material. That's all the trophy is. When people come in the house and they see your trophies and all the things that you've accomplished, 
you know, I'm very proud of my degrees on the wall and all of that. Without Jesus Christ, that means absolutely nothing. It means nothing. But I did put in the hard work, and God blessed that. Now listen, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. I'm looking for the crown that lasts forever. I'm looking for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Life is very difficult. Our church and our families and individual lives have to be built on the right foundation. When we build our lives, when we use the architectural things that we're supposed to use spiritually, we build buildings. We, we build monuments. When we build off of unspiritual things, we build little hovels. And, and we have little shacks. And we don't, we don't do what we're supposed to do. My question this morning as we start point number one, are you aimlessly beating the air? Are you building with the right material? Are you on the right foundation? Is, is God using you? Are your priorities where they're supposed to be? Now, let's look. The builder's criteria is our first point. And what was the first criteria in verse 10 and 11? Paul says, I'm working out of grace. Paul says, he says very clearly, he mentions according to God's grace. Now, some of you have come in there this morning, and you've looked at some very talented people doing some great things, and you said, boy, I just can't do any of that stuff. Well, I got news for you. The foundation, the first part of the foundation, the criteria for building a foundation of a good life is you work out of grace. The, the ground around the cross is level. There's nobody in here this morning that has an excuse that says, I can't do anything in the kingdom. I can't do anything. I, I had somebody in my family once tell me, I don't have a spiritual gift. I said, that's not true. If you're saved, you have a spiritual gift. God has given you a spiritual gift. And if you're looking for a spiritual gift this morning, you don't know what yours is. And 2 Corinthians 5, 16, 17 says, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Your job is to reconcile men unto Christ. Y'all all right? We all build completely out of grace. So Paul starts his foundation according to grace. The playing field is level. All saved people are given the same grace. It depends on what you do with that grace. The ground around the cross is level. Passion and hard work and sweat equity are all available to each person. God gives you a spiritual gift. God gave me the gift of teaching and preaching. But when I started teaching and preaching, it was horrible. There had to be time in the study. There had to be books about preaching read. There had to be the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And Brother Charlie and I were talking about this uh, a couple of days ago. And I said, Charlie, one of the things that's happening to me in my older age, I'm learning to listen to the Holy Spirit while I'm preaching. I'm sorry, Lord, that it took 35 years to get that. But things are happening now. There's more maturity there. I slow down. I think. I'm, I'm listening to God as I preach. You don't think uh, Miss Kay started playing the piano like she's playing right now. And I'll tell you this. The, the older she gets, the better she plays. Why? Because she's continuing with the passion and the drive. Brother Jeremy didn't start playing the guitar yesterday. And so the, the grace that you were, have been given, what you put into this is a very big deal. In 1 Corinthians 3, 8, very simply, the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. Our purpose, no matter what you're doing, 
is very important. See, sometimes there's people in the, in the preschool and they're working. The children's ministry is going strong in there. The students are separated from us on Wednesday night. But those people are doing the purpose for which God placed them here. And, and they're making a big difference. I told you this morning, you see, I'm sure there's plenty of times that Amy would think, well, I really like to be in the service this morning. But she sacrificed to be there to do the purpose for which God brought her here. And what did you see this morning? And how do you know all of our children in preschool are saved? And I think pretty much most of our kids in, in children's church are also. God has swept through and done a beautiful work there. I, I love the passage in Matthew 25 and verse 19 through 30. Let me just tell you the story so you don't have to go there and read it. The parable of the talents. And, and the Lord comes along and he sees these men and he gives out talents for them to work in the kingdom. And then he says, the Son of Man came. He gave one man five, he gave one man two, and he gave one man one. You know the story. Jesus comes back. One man said, Lord, I worked hard. I've got ten talents that you gave me. I doubled what you gave me. Another man said, I had two, and I've doubled what you have given me. And when that man answered him, he answered him with 13 words. Then the text tells us the other man that had two talents, he, was, he answered the Lord in, in uh, 13 words. And then there was another fellow. He said, Lord, I knew you as a hard man. I went and buried it in the dirt. I didn't do anything with it. I'll tell you, there's some Baptists that slap run all across the Southern Baptist Convention this morning that have their talents buried in the dirt. And when the Lord asked him, oh, what do you have for me? He said, oh, he began to talk. Guess how many words he used to answer the Lord? Forty-four words in the Greek language. And, and, and probably in your, there's more probably in the English language as it's translated. I want to tell you, we've got some folks that don't understand the grace of God. You were given everything that you needed to serve in the church of Jesus Christ. And sometimes it is absolutely like pulling teeth to get folks to do what God has called them to do. Bernard Shaw said this, This is the true joy of life, the being used up for a purpose, recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Did, did you know when I, I missed the visitor this morning, Bo comes down and says, and walk back. You know why? Because the visitors are important to him. And he said, Pastor, you missed my job this morning. I love that. Now, I'm not going to get mad about that. I'm going to say, Bo, thank you for reminding me of that because we need to do that. We want our visitors to know we appreciate them. Amen? That's a man doing his job out of passion. That's a purpose for which you yourself, it's a mighty one. Do you know that I don't know where I would be this morning without the ushers and the greeters? That's why they're so important to me. The guys at Curtis Baptist Church pulled me in and let me take up the offering. When I went down and took up the offering, I thought, man, I am the super Christian that came to Curtis. God is using me for this mighty purpose of taking up tithes and offerings. Do you believe that? I'm serious. I finally had a purpose in life. You say, well, that's not a big purpose. Oh, yes, it is. It, it beats the devil out of where I was and, what, and who I was serving. And here I am now, dirty Jerry Gray, with all these vices and problems. I get saved, and that group of men, for the first time in my life, it wasn't about taking up the offering. It was about the time we spent in the foyer greeting people and watching godly men display the life of Christ for me. We all operate from grace. Bernard Shaw goes on and he says, This mighty force, so that you being a mighty force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clot of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. 
Can I say this? Grace kills excuses. You have no excuse. Kingdom building, listen, is the greatest purpose in life. Number two, building skills. You got to build skillfully. You don't just build on the foundation when it's not skillfully. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, according to God's grace that was given me, I laid a foundation. And can I say that Paul the apostle laid a foundation? That foundation that he laid of Jesus Christ, Jesus started it with his disciples. Jesus gave us salvation. He turned it over to to 12 men that took the New Testament church, begun the New Testament church, and then Paul the Apostle came along, and this was something else Brother Charlie and I talked about yesterday in the driveway. Can you imagine the divine revelation that God gave Paul the Apostle so that we would have a New Testament? We wouldn't have an idea about most of the New Testament without Paul the Apostle. If we didn't have the book of Acts, we wouldn't even know who Paul the Apostle is. All of it is so tied together. Paul says, I laid it. I laid the foundation. It means to sink down. The Greek word is tithemi. It means to be ordained for a purpose. Now listen carefully. This passage explains why the church of Jesus Christ today is so weak. We have so many folks that are just wimpy and self-centered Christians. They get blown around by every wind of doctrine. They're not on the foundation. And they get blown around because they're not embedded in the solid foundation. It's like a golfer with poor posture and a, 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 a person with a terrible grip and, and no posture. He doesn't understand why he plays so poorly. And I say, your posture's terrible, and the only thing that connects you to the, to, the, to the club is your hands, and your grip's all messed up, your posture's terrible, you, you never play well, but all you ever do is complain when you go to the golf course. Have you ever thought about practicing? Why don't you get a foundation? And there's Christians, we look at them and we think, what is wrong with them? I'll tell you what's wrong with them. They don't have a foundation. They're, con- they're not connected to the basics. And when we talk about little bitty basics like reading your Bible and prayer, oh, I know all that, Brother Jerry. Well, it doesn't matter how much you know if you're not doing it. You've got to build on the foundation. Modern Christians don't know their Bible. You say, Brother Jerry, how do you know that? Well, because I hear you quote Scripture out of context all the time. And I think, my goodness, where did you get that? Well, I heard so-and-so say that. And I said, yeah, and red flags should have gone off everywhere. We misinterpret the Scripture. Uh, The church of Jesus Christ was built on a man's bloody sacrifice. Jesus gave his life for us. We don't have the right to change the foundation. We've got people that just... They don't know about the bloody sacrifice. All they can think about is, well, I got my feelings hurt or nobody called me, nobody told me about that. When the whole time it's going on, on and on and on and on. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, when do we start Wednesday night meals? And I said, where have you been? (laughs) Y'all all right? Man, I remember when I was working at Plant Vogel, I was a welder. They started driving pilings down for a good foundation. We were, they were already dug down 400 and something feet. And then they got to the bedrock. They needed the foundation. They started driving pilings in, these big, huge pipes. They were going to pour concrete in those big, long pipes. Some of the pipes hit some pockets, and the pipe would go whoop and disappear. Well, the engineers were just freaked out. They were like, we can't put a nuclear reactor on here with no foundation. 
they had to dig so deep and dry piling so deep that they literally got to the bedrock. I mean the rock before they got to stuff that's hot lava. And they had to fill all that up with concrete because they knew that the foundation was the most important thing. And that's what we have. We have Christians who have pockets that there's nothing there. And you need to fill it full of Jesus. Many folks have spiritual voids in their lives due to neglect of the foundation. Now, now look right here. Paul says, notice what Paul says right here. You're thinking to yourself right now, where did you get all this out of this? Listen, I have my friends of mine say, I don't know what to preach Sunday. I don't know how I'm going to get all this in. But I'm not in a hurry. Listen, you architects are going to love this. Paul says, by the grace of God that was given me, I laid a foundation as a master, skilled master builder. Y'all all right? Here's the Greek word. Architectone. Do you hear anything in there that you know? It's the word architect in English. Paul says, I am, come on. Now, if I said this, you'd say, Pastor, that is so pompous. But if I said, I'm a master builder of the foundation. RK is like archbishop. The archbishop is the first bishop, the beginning bishop. He's the top dog. Y'all with me? And so arch or RK here is, that's where the word master comes from. And then the, the other word here is the word tectone. And it means a craftsman or a chief contractor, a producer of beautiful fabrics, someone who makes beautiful fabrics, uh, a skillful worker. Translated, literally, you could say, Paul could have said, I'm the best builder there is. Paul says it this way. Do everything you do for the glory of God. Now listen to me. Pastor, what are you trying to say? Here's what I'm saying. If we all build skillfully and build like we're master builders, and you say, well, how am I going to be a master builder? I'm going to tell you in a second. But if we all build like master builders, here's what will happen. People can come behind us and build on the same foundation. Y'all all right? You see, that's why the kids are getting saved. That's why the students are getting saved. We're all building on the same foundation. And that sound foundation is Jesus. And, and so you say, well, it's very simple. Brother Jerry, I'm not an expert in the Bible. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? I'm not going to let you off the hook this morning. Why not? You've been saved for 30 years. You've been saved for 10 years. You know what I did? They said, well, we can't. I don't understand the King James Version. When I first got saved before the year was out, I read the cover literally off a of King James Bible. And most of the passages I quote to you now are from the King James Version. Read it till you do get it. The resources and the material that's on the Internet and in bookstores today, the modern Christian has absolutely no excuse for not understanding the Bible. No, none. And you may not go to scholarly stuff, but you can under what we call the perspicuity of Scripture. The perspicuity of Scripture means that as long as a man can read, and if he can't read, somebody can read it to him, he can sit down, read his Bible, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you will get something out of that text that you do understand. You'll get it. And so I'm building on this foundation. that The master builder, how do you build like a master builder? He knows his trade. You know, if you want, to, you want to get me in a conversation, start asking me about the golf swing. Man, I'll blow you away with the stuff I know about the golf swing. 
If you want to get a, a redneck going, say, you kill a deer this year, and in a few minutes, they will have deer stacked up in the truck. I mean, this is, talk to a guy who loves fishing. Talk to a guy who loves woodworking. He will start telling you about what he's building. I got, man, I got caught up at the, the Carmichael's one day, and uh, this guy started talking to me about woodworking. I said, yeah, I've been trying to learn. And he said, buddy, next thing I know, he had his phone out. He's just going to town. He said, Look at this thing right here I built, man. He knew all about woodworking. We need some folks that know about Jesus. And if you knew as much about Jesus as you knew about golf and fishing and hunting and woodworking or, or, or crafting, I want to tell you, or computers, man, we'd be way on the way to doing what God's called us to do. You see, we got to know our trade. He makes plans, plan to, to follow Christ. He never changes midstream. You can't, you can't build the kingdom off a foundation. You start building and say, you know what? I'm going to get another foundation right here. No, you don't do that. You've got to build on the same foundation. He obeys the rules of, of scientific architecture. You can't say, well, you know, I know this, I know this beam right here. It's rated for 10,000, but we're going to put 20,000 pounds on it. Your life will be destroyed. If you're not building spiritually, like you said, well, you know, we can compromise right here just a little bit. No, we can't compromise. We have to preach Jesus. We build on the right foundation. We've we got to be careful. Paul says, be careful how you build. He obeys the rules of scientific architecture. He educates himself. Have you really thought about this this way? That for you to, to understand the truths of Scripture, you have to study. It doesn't come and just fall out of the sky. The Lord has saved you. He's redeemed you. And you're going to heaven. But yet we spend more time losing rewards by enjoying the things of this culture which going to pass away. Have you ever seen a good foundation fail because a man came along and started building on that foundation poorly? You've seen it time and time again. Church has been conservative for years. Pastor retires somehow or another they get a bunch of guys on a pulpit search committee and they go off and they get some guy who's a hot shot, good speaker, theology's terrible. They bring him in and he destroys the church. Why? Because he couldn't build on the right foundation because he didn't know how to build. Build on the exclusive foundation. Look at verse number 11. Paul says, I built on that exclusive foundation and that only foundation is Jesus. He is the foundation of salvation and life and unfortunately he gets left out of the building process. Jesus Christ is literally the concrete and the rebar of the Christian life. And many folks today that are saved are trying to build without Jesus Christ. They're trying to get their life started. They're not building a, a very good foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, they, they got hell insurance, and they don't really care about anything else. I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and I got hell insurance, and so I'm just, I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to put sweat equity into this. Rather put more time into my fishing and my golf and, and whatever else that he may be doing, he's not leading his family. The foundation of the Christian life must be and have these things. True salvation experience. The exegete, listen, pa for pastors, the exegete of the Scripture has to have the Holy Spirit. Do you know how many pastors there are across this nation who are actually lost and going to hell preaching the Scriptures? And they, and you know, Josh sent me something the other day. 
some crazy preacher in another denomination interprets all the things that happened with Moses and him being in the basket and being rescued and going down to that God understood that he was transgender because of that. Now, I want to tell you, that is just misrepresenting the Word of God. It is absolutely ridiculous the things that people are saying today about our Lord, as a matter of fact. The exegete, the pastor first, must be redeemed under the blood, filled with the Spirit in order to preach about the foundation. Misinterpretation causes poor doctrine. And poor doctrine causes a man to compromise behavior, compromise his building. You cannot build on two different foundations. Now listen, you say, Brother Jerry, that is ridiculous. Nobody would ever do that. We would build two foundations. I think if we did this, we bought, we bought this property, we laid this foundation, and we laid another foundation right next to it. Y'all all right? And then what you do is you come in and you build that foundation. It's a good foundation. The other one's a good foundation too. Then you start putting up the sticks and you, you frame in the walls and you do all those wonderful things. And then you go to the other foundation and you just build a roof and you just lay it down on top of the foundation. And then all the people come over here and we sit in here nice. We don't have a roof, but we, we're sitting in here. It's real nice. And, you, and it starts raining. And then we all get wet. Now some of you think, Brother Jerry, that's the dumbest illustration I've ever heard. I'll tell you what's dumber than that. Trying to build a life on two different foundations. You started with Jesus, but now there's a fellow across town that all of a sudden says, oh, now, no, no, I, I got 40,000 members of my church, but here's what we're going to do. Jesus saved us, but we, we, you know, he really doesn't know what to do anymore because times have changed. And I'm going to interpret the Bible the way I want to, and we're going to put all that on the other foundation. You can't, it's going to fail. You cannot build a building on two different foundations. We, we need Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, service, Worship, giving, doctrine, evangelism, mentoring, all of these things that has to be passed down to the next generation. Dr. Vine says this, Christ Jesus himself is the only foundation for the church. We can try to build a church on many other things. We can try to build a church on the preacher's personality, on the prestige of the congregation, or the programs and the promotions. The person of Jesus Christ, however, is the only eternal foundation for the church. Paul says this in Galatians 1. You won't hear the preacher preaching this. I am astonished that you so quickly have deserted the one who called you by the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel to you, let him be eternally condemned. When you come to Woodlake, you're going to get Jesus. And if you reject Jesus, that's too bad. We're not going to reject Jesus. The point is that we are building on the true gospel foundation. And then he says here, beware how you build. There's a warning to this. The last point is you, you need to be very careful how you build. I love this little word. It means to take heed. It means to beware. Some of these preachers and people that believe some of this foolishness that you're seeing in the culture, they've forgotten the fear of God. There's going to be some restitution for this. The word for beware here is... The perception is watchfulness, 
to physically look ahead as well as mentally. It means that we're to bring all the intuition that we have to the table as we build. Be careful how you do it. Now listen, while we were building this building, Brother Lane came up here every day. One day he's walking around, gets over here to the corners up here. They were putting rebar in, getting ready to build walls and stuff. Lane said, that's not tied together right. Guy said, oh, yeah, it is too. He said, no, it's not. So it's not tied together right. There's nothing to tie that to the bricks. It's not, it's not going to hold. And he says, that's, that's wrong. So then they get the architect out here and looks. He said, guy who made up the plans or whomever it was, I can't remember all the whole story, Lane, but I do know this. They had to fix it. They had to get the rebar tied into the concrete. No sense in pouring concrete if the rebar is not tied together. Y'all all right? That's what I am. That's what I'm doing. I'm coming here. I'm looking at God's word, and I'm pouring it out to you, and I'm saying, listen, be careful how you build. And I'm watching your life, and you come to me, and I love it when you come to me, by the way, and say, Pastor, have you heard about this? What do you think about that? I love that. Because then we can go right straight to the Word, and we can pour it out together, and you'll learn what it's all about. My daddy used to say it. In other words, it's, 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 it's important to the work. And, and my daddy used to say it like this. He would say, Son, this is important. Pay attention to what you're doing. Did your mom and dad ever tell you that? Pay attention to what you're doing. I, I remember driving through the, the river swamp down in the Geechee River, and I had a little John boat, and I was slipping through there. Man, I was having myself a time. And I kept hitting little snags that kept on. And Daddy said, and I hit one that was pretty big. It stopped the boat a little bit. I just kept going. I was having a blast. And Daddy said, son, pay attention to what you're doing. You're going to knock a hole in the boat. Well, when he said that, I was already about ankle deep in water. <laughs> and we had to pull up on a sandbar and get out. And take one of the life jackets and cut holes in it and take the foam out and stuff it in that stuff it in there to stop the water from coming in so we could get back to the house. I ruined the whole day being silly. And daddy would say, son, pay attention to what you're doing. The temptation today is for churches to chase after every wind of doctrine. Every wind of doctrine. Some of the terminology that we have today. We left, can I ask you a question? Does anybody in here not know what Sunday school is? Does everybody know what Sunday school is? Well, when the Purpose Driven Life came out, every pastor saw Rick Warren's church growing in California, and everybody east of the Mississippi changed everything they were doing. That was the end of the world. We all got to do that. We got to have small groups now. We got to change our terminology. And you know, most lost people have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about small groups. And, and, and here's what we did. We have all these little satellite homes with all these little pockets of people that end up, that group chooses a person in their home, becomes their pastor. And then you have all these little satellite churches trying to come back together, and they're all telling the pastor what to do. You end up with 50 pastors. You have these people doing all this weird stuff. And then the next thing I know, they're, all, they're serving the Lord's Supper in these homes and doing all kinds of stuff, breaking the doctrines of the church. Because one church in California and nowhere east of the Mississippi since that happened 20 years ago has prospered in that ministry. It was good for California. Somebody will go to a church growth conference. People will tell them, hey, Pastor, we, let me come. 25 people got saved. We need to do that. No, we don't. We need to be Woodlake. And if you've noticed this morning, here's what we are. We're a family church. I believe that the little kids all the way up through to you're 100 years old, I don't have any target groups. The only target group we got is lost people. 
And I think that our kids need to see their mother and father worshiping. I, I think they ought to come together. Our senior adults are important to us. Everybody's important. We've got to build a foundation with the Lord Jesus Christ and grow the family. That's the problem with America. We've lost our families. Y'all all right? I want you to notice this. We're, I'm facing a land, a plane. I'm trying to get there. So let's read this together. Watch this with me. Verse 11, for no one can lay any other foundation that has not been laid, the foundation of Jesus Christ. The text does not say you should not lay any other foundation other than Jesus Christ. It does not say that. It says you cannot lay another foundation other than Jesus Christ. Why are you trying? Why are preachers today, well, well, you know, times have changed and people have changed. The sins have changed. The Bible's not relevant anymore. I'll tell you what's not relevant. These preachers aren't relevant. And as you're going to tell, as we move out of this, we're going to get into, see, here's where we're going. When you get to verse 12, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold and silver and costly stones, or if you build hay and straw, here's what's going to happen. Everybody's work's going to be judged, obviously, and it's going to be exposed by fire. And when will it be exposed by fire? When Jesus Christ comes. And then we're going to find out. Paul says, don't judge things. Don't judge things right now. You just wait till Jesus comes. Haramar says that, a, that the reason Paul tells the workers to be careful how they build on the foundation is because there's no flaws on the foundation Because the foundation is what? And he has no problems. So if we fail, it's not the foundation. So if... <laughs> I hope there's some liberal preachers watching. Because they'll run after every wind of doctrine. When we're not growing, we got to do something different. You know what? God may have you in a dry spell for a purpose so you can refocus your energy and remember who's in charge. One preacher told me, you know, more people join the church when I wear a blue shirt. Well, I just disregarded the work of the Holy Spirit and everything else. You know, our problem is they left the foundation. But I can promise you this, there's nothing wrong with the foundation. I have no problem standing here preaching Jesus for you. And I'll give an invitation and ask you to come receive Jesus Christ. I'll never ask you to come and receive Jerry Gray. I'll never admit that there's a program or a purpose or anything else or a music style that can bring people to the cross. It's the business of the Holy Spirit to draw men to salvation. No song, no program has ever redeemed a soul. God, listen. God can use anything, but it has to be God. If there arises a problem in construction, the problem is not the foundation. The foundation shall not be rebuilt. How silly would it be to try to build a building on two foundations? We're not going to do that. We build out of grace. We build as a master builder. We build on the foundation of Jesus, and we build very carefully. See, some people will say, you say, I have my staff around. And we'll say, well, we want to try to do this to reach some more people or so. We sit there and we analyze it. You see, 
and, and, I, and I throw it out there and I say, y'all talk to me. Let's, let's kick this around. Let's talk about it. I talked to some of you. I talked to Brother Sanford. I talked to other people. I said, you know, we don't want to get caught up in some things that just aren't, you know, because, listen, I understand when things aren't going well, you start reaching for stuff. Man, during COVID and the crash in 2008, we were like, man, what is going on? What's wrong with people? You know, and then I began to talk to my other pastor friends and Chris Connor and others, and they said, Brother Jerry, it's that way in every church. People are fighting, fighting, fighting. So I just loosened up my tie, got back to business. Let's just preach Jesus. Now I want you to do something different this morning as we close right here. I want you to do something with me this morning, okay? I want you to do a favor. I want you to close your eyes. And this is going to be the invitation. This is about the, you know, I want you to think about this. The musicians, y'all can come on up if you'd like. But I want you to do me a favor. I want you to do something that's a little different, but I want you to do this for me. As you close your eyes and as we pray, I want you to think for a moment with me right now. You just died. Okay? You're, you're dead. You're saved, but you're dead. And either Jesus or the angels come to get you. I don't know how it's going to happen. I ain't been there yet. The Lord takes you to heaven. Angels take you in. Man, you get there. You see this bright throne in the back. And, man, you just, I mean, the excitement is overwhelming. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more hurt. And you start, they start taking you, two angels, they start taking you toward that throne. And you see the face of Jesus Christ. And, and then you start hearing that Phillips, Craig, and Dean song. It's all right now. It's all right now. There's nothing to fear from me, my friend. I'm saying it's all right now. And the next thought that you think after you've been there less than two seconds is going to be as you see the face of Jesus and his hands open wide telling you to come to him at the throne, you're going to be thinking, why did I place so much importance on the things of earth? And he's going to look and he's going to say, it's okay. It's all right. And he's not going to berate you for failing. He's going to say, it's okay right now. Come, inherit what I died for you. You're going to receive all the rewards and glory that you could ever, ever imagine. Your body's going to be healed. Your loved ones are here. Everything that you've ever thought was important is going to pale in the light of eternity with me. I love you, my child. Is that going to be a great day? I promise you, this life, this life is nothing compared to the next one. Father, this is your moment. There are people watching by way of internet this morning. They're afraid to let go of this world for some reason to give their life to Jesus Christ.
I pray with all my heart, thanking you that I had a grandmother and a mother that walked with Christ. And they told me the importance of it. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that began to draw me. And I can know that I could echo, Lord, I get the privilege this morning of speaking for my people. And many of them right now would say the same thing. That after they came to know Jesus Christ, there was nothing on this earth that they wanted. That they can't wait to see your face. Lord, until you call us home, help us to put all the passion, ethos into this work that you've given us. First, to align my life on the foundation and build properly on it so that I could be used by you. Lord, to, to do that. And then so that I would get there one day and just hear, well done good and faithful servant. Bless this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand to your feet?